Good morning, everyone. The reading today is from Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to 62. You'll be able to find it on the blue Bibles that are on the chairs or nearby. Otherwise, it will be on the screen behind me. From verse 54. Then, seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Uh, Well, are there any Simons or Peters in the room today? Anyone called Simon or Peter? Anyone want to own up to it? (laughs) It's a a popular name, so I thought someone might be putting their hand up. And um, I was thinking, I wonder how you'd be feeling to be named after this guy, Simon Peter. Jesus' closest companion and the man who denied even knowing him when the going got tough. Simon, Simon. Uh, Jesus spoke to Peter directly earlier on this long dark night. We've picked up towards the end this morning, but earlier after Passover dinner, as the hour of Jesus' sacrificial death drew near, Jesus told Peter what was coming. You might like to look in verse 31 in your Bibles there of Luke chapter 22, just back a little ways. Jesus said, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Tradition has it that um, Peter himself was one of the key eyewitnesses, um, one of the sources behind the Gospels we have in the New Testament. Um, And that's really plausible given that he was a public figure, he was around, he was connected to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Each of those four Gospels, as you read them, they have their own kind of unique perspective on the historical events of Jesus' life, death and resurrection But this story of Peter denying his Lord is in all four. Can you imagine the older Peter sitting down to pass this story on as the gospel writers were compiling their accounts? The great preacher and leader saying, well, after the Passover, we watched Jesus pray alone. And all the religious leaders came in the middle of the night to arrest him. 
and I followed him to the high priest's house. A slave girl spotted me and said that I was a friend of Jesus. I said, a friend of who? Luke said at the start of his gospel in chapter 1 that he wrote it to give us certainty about Jesus. As you hear this story of one of Christianity's great leaders absolutely cracking under the pressure, what does it give you certainty about? It's a story that begs the question, doesn't it? Simon, Simon, where is your strength? Simon Peter, the cream of the crop. We've come to know him through Luke's gospel. He's, he's not perfect, but he's such a keen follower of Jesus. He's the one that often speaks on behalf of the disciples. Uh, lots of others in Luke's gospel unfairly reject Jesus. But Peter is kind of slowly putting things together. As we read the story, Peter is the character we relate to. And look at him now. I think one of the things that makes this passage really exposing is that it turns the mirror on us. Peter, the best of them, the one that we identify with, turning his back at a crucial moment. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see someone who's making an effort? Sure, there are blemishes, but overall, are you putting things together? Peter, the leader of the disciples, says to us, I'm with you. Look again. But maybe you look in the mirror and honestly, you just see brokenness. You see the mistakes, the scars. And maybe as you listen to this passage of the Bible, you thought, yep, I've let Jesus down. In big ways and small, I've denied my maker. You look in the mirror and see a sinner. And Peter says, I'm with you and you're on to something. But look again. Let's come with Peter now, the best of the disciples, into the exposing light of the courtyard campfire and see what he discovered about himself, what he discovered about his Lord and what he needed the most. Uh, point one there in your leaflets is weakness on full display. Peter really discovers something ugly about himself in the wee small hours of Passover night. At this point, everyone else has disappeared, but Peter, the best of them, he's hanging in there. After all, he did say he was up for anything. Uh, recently, Aisha and I have found ourselves spending lots of time at Mortlock Park, just down the road. Um, our son, Ari, loves watching the puppies. Um, the other day, we met this little Maltese Shih Tzu, uh, super cute, uh, and after she was done getting some pats from Ari, uh, the poor thing got herself into a little bit of trouble. Uh, you've probably seen this happen. She bounded up to this big German shepherd, uh, just looking for a fight, and her ferocious little yaps predictably soon turned into yelps. Um, little dogs can be a little bit overconfident. Hey, that's Peter here, you know, walking into the high priest's courtyard, seating himself down with those who had just laid hands on Jesus. I've got this. But Peter has way overestimated his strength. 
Didn't he hear Jesus' warning? Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Have you ever done that kind of Maltese Shih Tzu thing before where you really overestimate what you're made of? I've got to admit, I've always thought of myself as quite a patient person, but the big energetic retriever of being a dad has definitely shown me that I might have overestimated myself a bit. Peter, do you have any idea of what you're doing here? Well, in three painful blows, we see exactly what he's made of. Have a look at verse 56. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked at him closely and said, This man was with him. In first century Roman culture, a slave girl was pretty much at the bottom of the food chain. No matter how intelligent she was, her opinion would not have been held in high regard. So it's not the most threatening chance for Peter to stand up for Jesus. But he falls at the first hurdle. Verse 57, woman, I don't know him. As a Christian, uh, it's painful how relatable that scenario is. I think of parties where the topic of Christianity has come up. Times where I could have said more or said something at all. If you're a believer, perhaps you can think of times, maybe at work or with friends, when that situation's come up. Sometimes I look back and think, like, what's the worst that could have happened if I said something? Why is it so easy to put Jesus second to the opinions of others? Can you imagine the older Peter passing this story on? I told her I didn't know Jesus. And then a little bit later, I did it again. Verse 58, this time it's someone else who notices Peter. His denial is kind of reaching a broader audience. And that's the funny thing about sin. It often starts in a dark corner. Maybe the first time Peter thought, oh, well, only the slave girl knows. But sooner or later, private sins always find their way out into the light. Man, I am not, Peter replied. The confident, keen Peter is starting to look a little bit smaller, isn't he? Sitting among the crowd that's just arrested Jesus. In theory, Peter knows Jesus can raise the dead. But when push comes to shove, he is just not ready to die tonight. Verse 59 tells us that about an hour passes before Peter is accused of knowing Jesus for the third time. Can you feel the painful way that Luke's drawing our attention to how time just dragged out in those wee small hours? He's doing that, I think, because it shows us Peter's weakness on another level. You know, it's one thing, you know, if I have a grumpy morning at home, just hypothetically, and then I have to, you know, on the way into work, I don't know if you've ever had to do this, um, but sometimes I have to make a call on the way into work to call back home and just say, sorry, that was completely stupid, like, let's start again when I get home. It's another thing, a, a much more damaging thing, isn't it, to hold even tighter to a fight as time passes. And you have the chance to take a breath, but you don't let it go. 
Peter has every chance here. He's got an hour to gather his thoughts, take a deep breath, and think, who do I want to side with here? And then the chance comes in verse 60, and Peter replies, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And so Peter denies, even knowing his Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. It's the ultimate me, also me moment. Do you know that kind of thing? Me, also me. I think I've got a picture of an example on the screen, Luke, if you can find it, just to uh, give an example of a me, also me. There we go. You know, who am I to judge? That's me. But then also me, like Simon Cowell on The X Factor, sharing my snarky criticism. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. Me, also me. You know, is this the same Peter who met Jesus in his fishing boat three years ago and dropped everything to follow him? Is this the same Peter, one of the chosen few who walked into the room that day and watched Jesus take a dead girl by the hand and say, my child, get up? The Peter who was there on the mountain when the voice of God tore into the world, this is my son, listen to him. The same Peter that was at the Passover table who said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Man, I do not know what you're talking about. It's tempting to ask, how could Peter tear himself in two like that? But we all know it's something we're all capable of, isn't it? How do we do it? Me, also me. Have you had a moment like that where you turn around and think, was that me? Was it my mouth that just said those cruel and terrible words? Was it my hands that typed that into my web browser? My fist that just went through the wall? This morning, we've seen the best of us at his weakest We watch him kind of falling in slow motion. And in that, Luke is doing us a kindness, if you can believe that. Because he's inviting us to think about what we're really made of. I'm not sure what kind of thoughts the word sin brings up for you. It's definitely a bit of a dirty word in our world, isn't it? Our pop culture would have us believe that, you know, things aren't really our fault which is a really nice idea, but it leaves us cold and alone in those moments where the gravity of what I just did hits me in the guts. Without owning up to my sin, I'm left with nothing but denial and blame. You know, it's tempting to look in the mirror and try to cover the blemishes, But I want to say with Peter and Luke today, there is a better way. Rather than overestimating myself or underestimating my failures, knowing Jesus means that I can face them head on. And even turn my weaknesses over and and poke and prod at them and ask, why am I like this? A bit like Luke does with Peter's story here. Because knowing Jesus gives me a way to look straight in the mirror and still sleep at night. 
And if you're not sure whether that can really be true, let's keep following Peter through this dark night. Point two. Well, at this point, Peter needs a literal wake-up call to bring him to his senses. So in verse 60, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, just like Jesus said. And if it's not clear enough, then there's that agonizing moment in verse 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. As Jesus stands before the mocking and accusations of the religious leaders, Jesus looks straight at Peter. He sees past the confident exterior, past the empty words, right to Peter's core. And Jesus, who knew all that already, stands there anyway with all the courage and power that the Peters of this world so sorely lack. And it's in that moment that Peter finally faces himself. As the proud rooster crows, proud Peter finally cracks. And we find him outside the house crying bitter tears. It's a moment of painful clarity. But let's think about Jesus' clarity first. You know, Peter is shocked at himself, but Jesus isn't surprised. Jesus knows exactly what we're all capable of, even the things that would horrify us in hindsight. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Well, for me, it probably depends on what kind of a day I've had. It's not really an objective thing. But when Jesus looks at Peter, he sees him exactly as he is. He knows all of us inside and out. And the really shocking thing is that Jesus is standing where he is anyway. Jesus walked willingly into this joke of a trial, knowing full well that all his friends would desert him. What would possess somebody to do something like that? Remember what Jesus said at the dinner table as he poured the cup of wine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And Jesus is about to forge a new promise between God and people, signed in his own blood. A promise of forgiveness, of restored relationship, of new life. Jesus sees us at our absolute weakest, And he walks the way of the cross to save us from the ugliness, the lies, the selfishness, the violence, the things that lurk inside of us and stand between us and our Lord so that we can come back. That's Jesus' clarity in this moment. What about Peter's though? You know, with the piercing eyes of his Savior on him, Peter finally sees his sin for what it is. And it breaks him. No more bravado. No more covering up. Here's the one thing Peter gets right in this passage. He breaks down and weeps over the way he's treated his Lord. Something I've been wrestling with a bit this week is, did God the Father answer Jesus' prayer for Peter? 
you know, back in verse 32, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This is certainly a moment of failure for Simon Peter. But the more I think about it, the more convinced I am that this is the beginning of the father's answer to his son's prayer. Because Peter does turn back and Luke's second book, Acts, shows just how much he strengthened his brothers. And that tells me that there was something necessary about Peter's experience on this dark night to his faith and to his role as a future leader. Peter needed to be brought to the end of himself, to stop overestimating himself and to do the hardest thing of all, which is to admit there's a problem. God answered Jesus' faithful prayer by giving Peter the kindest gift of all, the gift of repentance. Because this crushing moment of clarity is the first step to Peter turning back to his Lord. And I want to say that's where Peter is different to his friend Judas. Okay, both men let Jesus down horribly. Both act selfishly and deceptively. Both guilty and ashamed before God. But only Peter turns back to Jesus. Another way the Bible talks about turning back is repentance. Only Peter comes back with his shame to be forgiven, to be restored. Clarity. God knows me inside and out. In one sense, there's nothing more confronting than that. But ultimately, there's nothing more comforting. Because knowing all that, God says, come back to me. It's a little bit like when my mum comes over to visit. You know, if someone comes over that I'm just meeting, in the 10 minutes before they arrive, I will be zooming around the living room, chucking the toy trucks in the corner, hiding the coffee cups in the sink, because I want to make a good impression. You know what I mean? Do you do that? With my mum, that ship has long since sailed, all right? She's seen me have tantrums. She's tidied up my toy trucks and much worse. So when my mum comes over, I'm not so frantic. Hopefully I don't actively make it unpleasant for her to come around. But I'm not going to worry about an exposed dish here or there. Isn't it a beautiful thing to have those relationships where there's no pretending? Where someone knows you warts and all and still wants to be in your life. Imagine having that kind of relationship with your maker. That's what Jesus is holding out today. In his God-given moment of clarity, Peter learned just how confronting and how freeing that is. The wee small hours, they're a good time to hit rock bottom, aren't they? As we sit there with Peter for a moment, I've got to ask, how do you deal with your failures? Do you frantically try to chuck them in the corner? Do you try to get on with life as if they're not there?
remember the one thing that Peter gets right. He faces his sin for what it is and he lets it break him. And that would be a terrible thing if that was the end of the story, but it's not. It's the beginning of the gift of repentance, of the journey back home, bringing the shame to Jesus, knowing that he loves you and he can do something about it. That's how you can face your weaknesses and sleep soundly at night. Uh, You don't have to answer this now, but have you ever broke down and wept over your sin? Over how you've treated God and his world? Did you know that you have permission to do that? You don't have to make yourself look better than you are. You don't have to explain away your mistakes. Peter would tell you the healthiest, the most life-giving response is to name it for what it is. To admit there's a problem so you can get some help. If you've been a Christian for a while, when was the last time you were really hit by your own weakness? Because I don't know about you, but I find it's all too easy to start out depending on God's grace, but then end up living day to day just by telling myself I'm doing a pretty good job and, you know, relatively speaking at least. Let's remember that repentance is God's great gift. Facing his own weaknesses was deeply formative, necessary. Turning to Jesus was Peter's source of strength. So will you pray that dangerous prayer? Lord, please show me where I need to repent. What if God answered that prayer? In his mercy, he doesn't tend to answer it all at once, but bit by bit we get to know ourselves better, don't we? It's kind of scary to think, are there stubborn sins in your life that you know you're not honouring Jesus in? Do you know the shame of frustration and of failing once, twice, even more? I do. Sometimes we need a wake-up call, and I think... Luke has given us a great gift in the striking image of Jesus looking straight at Peter in that moment of failure. Because on a practical level, when I'm tempted to brush over an area of weakness where I know I should repent, I can ask myself, if Jesus were physically in the room with me today, how would I feel about him looking at me right now? When we get a glimpse of the ugliness of sin and it grieves us, Jesus in his kindness names it for what it is and calls us to come back. Which takes us to point three, what the best disciple needs most. Before Peter can become a strong, faithful leader, the kind of man that people get named after, I want to say it's a great name. If you think of you know, naming any kids, Peter, Simon should be on the list. What makes him that kind of man is what he needs most, forgiveness. That's why this moment is such a gift to him. Let's let's pause for a minute. We've been thinking a lot about Peter, but what does this passage say about Jesus? 
He only kind of gets a brief cameo in verse 61. But that look from Jesus tells Peter, I know you and I know exactly what I'm doing here. And I find that quite amazing because everything I've ever learned about relationships has come from sitcoms. And and what does the Friends theme song tell us? You know that song? Okay, it's one of the greats for sure. It says, I'll be there for you. You know the song? I'll be there for you because... Can anyone finish the line? I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. That's interesting, isn't it? I won't let you down because I know that you won't let me down. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. If I were Jesus, I'd be saying to Peter, see you later. Good luck. What does Jesus say? When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And so we arrive at the heart of the cross. After watching Peter disown him, Jesus continues to stand before the Jewish and secular authorities, standing silent, accepting the guilty verdict that he didn't deserve. He stands there for Peter, not because Peter's there for him too, but because Jesus loves Peter. Jesus is standing there to save him. Jesus is standing condemned before both people and God in place of all the Peters of this world, all the sinners who would turn back and take shelter in Jesus' blood. As Peter peters out, Jesus is already gaining the wounds that would heal him. He is already beginning to pay the debt of Peter's immense guilt before God. That's what the best disciple needs most, forgiveness. We need Jesus to be there for us, not because of our track records, but because he loves us. A fresh start, no matter what you've done, no matter how low you've sunk, it's that costly gift of true forgiveness that lies behind the incredible transformation that we then witness in the Apostle Peter. Not long from now, we'll see Peter in Luke's second book, not shrinking back, but standing up before the same authorities that had Jesus killed to say, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges, Peter says. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What would possess someone to stand up for the risen Jesus like that, come what may? It's the same thing that took hold of the other great New Testament apostle, Paul. Um, Here's how Paul put it in 1 Timothy 1. I think I've got a slide for this, Luke. He said, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Two great leaders, brave, sacrificial, joyful, passionate. And the headline in each of their bios, the worst of sinners, the Jesus denier, the church persecutor, saved by Jesus. The worst of sinners, saved by Jesus. And that power of forgiveness has turned countless lives upside down since. One example, John Newton, 
uh, the ex-slave trader who ended up writing the hymn Amazing Grace and playing a role in the abolition of slavery, he wrote towards the end of his life this, Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great saviour. It was the defining conviction of his life. It makes me think, you know, what did Jesus think when he first laid eyes on Peter at the lake of Gennesaret, way back at the start of Luke? Ah, look at him pulling those fish in on those nets. He's got James and John working for him. He's a good delegator. I've got to have him. Do you reckon? I think it might have gone something more like this. Here is a stubborn and cowardly man who will consistently misunderstand me and ultimately disown me. I choose him. I will die for him. And I will show the world how great I am through him. Peter's world-changing life only goes to show what an incredibly kind and gracious saviour he had. Later in his life, Peter put it like this. I've got a slide for this one too. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He became a courageous leader because he was convinced that Jesus died for sins. He knew that he was unrighteous, but Jesus went in his place. Peter became a bold preacher of the cross because he knew its power firsthand. If you're someone who has an opportunity to teach others about Jesus, whether it's bringing up your children to know him, or serving in our kids' programs, or being a youth leader or a growth group leader, or just giving a reason to your friends and family for the hope you have, this is the number one conviction that you will need. I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great saviour. Can you imagine how powerfully that reality might shape the way you talk, how you respond to frustrations, your priorities? Perhaps you're one of our younger people here today, and you want to change the world for the better. Can I challenge you to consider that there is no idea more powerful or more world-shaking than this. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great saviour. Think about what that did to Peter, and to countless thousands through him, down to us today. That's why it's great to be named after Peter, all you Simons and Peters out there. A bold, passionate believer who faced the darkness within, and owned it, and took it to the one person who could help him. A person utterly blown away by the kindness, goodness, bravery and power of his saviour. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Here's what I think Peter would tell us. Not perfect, but trying hard. Yeah, but it goes a bit deeper. A broken sinner rotten to the core. Yep, but keep looking. Because at the end of the day, here's what I see. A forgiven sinner. And that makes all the difference. You can brush your teeth tonight looking at a forgiven sinner. 
with your flaws, your imperfections, washed away at the cross. Because Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So you can face yourself on your best day and your worst, and you can go to bed to face another day as a forgiven sinner. If that's something you've never experienced before, could today be a good day to bring that to Jesus? It could start with a simple prayer, acknowledging that brokenness within and asking for the forgiveness that Jesus died to win you. Would that be a good thing for you today? Could you be going to bed as a forgiven sinner tonight for the first time? If you've been following Jesus for a while, I think the challenge that this painful passage leaves us with is this. Be known as a forgiven sinner. Because what does the world around us think Christians are like? A bit holier than thou? Maybe a bit judgmental? Like normal people, but a bit more conservative? If someone looked at my life, what would they say being a Christian is like? Wouldn't it be amazing if people knew that Christians are forgiven sinners? If our friends and neighbours saw people just blown away with gratitude, with relief of a clean conscience? Hey, we've got a big mission ahead here at CLG in this new chapter How on earth can an ordinary bunch of people like us hope to make a dent in the thousands of people around us who are yet to put their trust in Jesus? Well, how did Peter do it? Facing our own sin, cultivating the gift of repentance, and treasuring the forgiveness of the cross. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great saviour. Praise the Lord. Amen.